0: Well, welcome back again to this edition of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vella, and I'm glad you found your way back to us. I know it's been a while since our last episode, so let me just take a couple minutes to give you some updates on what's been going on in my neck of the woods. Well, as some of you know, I've taken a of new writing projects. So apart from working on my own novel, I'm also working on uh, several series for my blog. Um, Some of you might have seen the series that I'm doing right now on slavery in the Bible. Um, And I'm also committed to another full book-length book review. Um, If you remember last time I did David McAfee's book Disproving Christianity and Other Secular Writings, well this time it's for John Loftus' book, The Christian Delusion, Why Faith Fails. So I've been busy with that. I'm also talking with um, NJ, who you'll hear on this episode, uh, about a little book project for us as well, um, having to do with the historical Jesus and reliability of the Bible. So that's a little farther out, but we are in in talks with that. Um, So the good news, though, is that with a recent career change, it looks like I'm going to have a lot more time on my hands starting in about a month to put out more episodes more consistently. So Look forward to that. Keep your eyes out. Make sure you're subscribed and you can get all the new episodes that are coming out. I've also changed the blog website, so you won't find me at logical-theism anymore. The new link for the blog is freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. That's freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Dot blogspot.com. I had some feedback that the website was hard to remember. It was uh, logical theism with a hyphen, logical hyphen theism. blogspot.com, um, and, and it contained a hyphen, and there was, it was a different name than the podcast, so some people were some confused. So I just consolidated the names, um, and now the address, as I said, is freedthinkerpodcast. blogspot.com. So the blog and the podcast have the same name, should be easier to find. Now, in this current episode, we continue the discussion with myself and two of my friends, NJ and Brandon, about moral philosophy. If you remember, we spent the last three episodes of this this series going over my position of theistic objective moral realism. And it was now Brandon's turn to present and defend his version of nihilism. Um, He does present a couple of mini-essays, and then we follow up with discussion on each one of those. I think, all in all, it was an extremely interesting discussion. I was really, really, really pleased with it. I really enjoyed myself, and I hope you're stimulated by it as well. In fact, we got so into it that we recorded for way too long, and it had to be divided into two episodes. So, without further ado, here is part one of that discussion. Enjoy the show.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble!
2: A few projects that uh that uh, Tyler and I have uh planned to be working on together, and um one of those is still including Jim Merritt's list of uh so-called Bible contradictions, which we are slowly getting to. Um and in fact, I think we did have plans maybe sometime after this, Tyler, to uh to record a short episode discussing some of these things. Yeah. We're still on for that? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Alright. Cool, cool. Um so in the last two episodes of this series these joint episodes we uh we began by defining some terms and and uh then of course we uh went into Tyler's Christian position that I think will actually become uh more evident as we get into mine and Brandon's position where Tyler can uh apply some of the critiques that uh that I'm sure he is itching by the wayside to do.
0: I got, I did, I did, I got some powder for that, so it's
2: all right. <laughs> all right. So, so on that note, um, I guess I'm not going to to uh define Brandon's position for him. So there's no better time to than to uh hand the reins over. Hold on tight.
1: I promise I will take you on a ride. I can't promise as to its quality or its length, but I promise I will take you on a ride to the best of my abilities. Just,
0: just be gentle, Brandon.
1: <laughs> no i'm a nietzschean i can't do that uh the world is cruel not really kind of
2: um so so why don't, why don't you begin by uh by telling us i know that you have a a long string of uh of uh, very technical words that will um that will uh surely Make well, everybody fall over.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am an objective ontological moral nihilist while simultaneously being a subjective moral realist.
2: There in you a are.
1: Sense. Exactly. There you are. <laughs> uh, and and that concludes it. So it's been really great talking with you guys. <laughs> no. Uh, basically, I've been working under the name of a, a joyful nihilist or a creative nihilist. Is just kind of a short catch-all term. Uh, my use of the term nihilist... Pardon me, my usage of the term nihilist is admittedly somewhat idiosyncratic, but as an existentialist philosopher and as one who believes very much in the endless semiotic play of language and signs, I'm uh, perfectly okay with some idiosyncratic usages, so I hope that uh, you'll feel free to call me out on them at any point if you need me to explicate why I'm using a, a given word in a given way. So, so, and- just, sure. so just for our listeners, that, that means that Brandon likes the color outside the box. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, but that's only because it, it's not out of some sort of banal, uh, new-agey, color-outside-the-box uh, ideology. It's because, for me, there fundamentally isn't a box to be w- colored within. Exactly. And so uh, the possibility to build your own boxes to play within then becomes paramount. So that's what I'll say. I'll say there. it's not that there is no box. It's that at any given moment, there's a myriad or a plethora of other boxes that you can construct within which you can operate. And I find that
0: fascinating. I think so, I don't know if you discussed it in your essay but it might be helpful um if you don't if you know you don't already do it in in your in your essays um just kind of say what nihilism traditionally is that way we can see sure. where yours differs.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, nihilism traditionally has two brands. Um there's what I call vulgar nihilism and I pronounce it nihilism. Um doesn't really matter, but uh, there's vulgar nihilism, and then there is philosophical nihilism. Vulgar nihilism is usually the more cold-shutter-inducing nihilism. It was popular amongst a lot of the Russian revolutionaries and pre-revolutionaries. It was the idea that the old social order had no inherent meaning. You know, there was no essential meaning to the czars, to the church, or the state— and so there's no reason to respect these things as sacred you could smash them and burn them because they had no inherent value uh, and that kind of political vulgar nihilism really operated on a very crude form of scientism because most of the nihilists that you encountered back then they didn't just advocate smashing the the uh, hierarchically organized state or the Uh, institution of the Tsar or the church, and then just kind of sitting around afterwards saying, well, we smashed that, didn't we? They wanted to build a new, bold, modern uh, state on top of the ruins of the old. And whenever you pressed for what that state would be, it was usually some kind of uh, communistic reductionist sort of, we're going to figure out what the a uh, Hegelian themed history is, and we're going to hijack that theme, and we're going to make the perfect neo society.
0: And th- and this is where you get a lot of that that influence of of you know failed social Darwinism too.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah, this is a lot of where nihilism gets its bad taste in the mouth is from the actions of the vulgar, as I call them, nihilists, who look at the fundamental lack of value the universe gives us and say, oh well then I should just break all these things that are around me. They derive an ought from an is. Uh, they do it without really even thinking about it. They look at the isness of a morally neutral world and for some reason derive a a positive idea, loosely speaking, an ought, which is, oh well I guess I ought to just break all the old order since there's uh, no reason to have it, which is fallacious thinking. But in any case, then you've got philosophical nihilism, which is more the nihilism that I occupy. And it is the idea that uh, just the philosophical appreciation of or observation of the lack of moral facts. You've got a universe and the universe works a certain way, but there are no moral facts. Nothing is fundamentally good or evil, fundamentally right or wrong. There just is that which is. And then we, as valuing agents, come along and project our values onto it. Um, we, we now, that, a would make
2: a, it would. that would make a lot of people uncomfortable, I suspect.
1: It would, and it made me very uncomfortable for a short while until yeah. I discovered the immense joy that can also result from that point of view.
2: Which I'm sure and, you'll get and, uh, to.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah w- without a doubt. But um, so there you've got the two basic outlines of nihilism. There's philosophical nihilism, which is just kind of the intellectual acknowledgement of, yep, we live in a universe that doesn't just give us any morals or values a priori. And then there is vulgar nihilism, which takes that assessment of the universe and for some reason believes that it gives it a positive commitment to smashing and burning and building some kind of new, uh, often scientifically reductionist society so with that being said i think i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to move on to make a few uh proclamations and then i'm going to read from these these things and of course feel free at any point to ask a question these aren't very long so i guess at the end of each one if you've got questions about them we can tackle that
2: yeah absolutely go for it
1: okay my first uh observation i'd like to put forward the first thing that i find important in this discussion is the fact that objective morals if they exist are obviously worthless uh now some indeed might say that the world which i've presented what with everyone free to value or not value as they deem fit is fundamentally abhorrent where there is nothing inherently blocking someone from valuing things as repulsive as theft or as disgusting as murder Indeed, I share in this fear, and I shudder at the very thought. It is deeply disquieting and troublesome to think that someone can actually choose to value such things, which I personally regard, by my measure of things, as wrongful and horrid. However, that's seemingly the world onto which we've been thrust, and by my observations there is no way to change it. Wishing will not alter its nature, and withdrawing due to the intense queasiness and difficulty it presents me with won't help me either. All which I can do is act from now on on my valuations, and my valuations include, among other things commonly regarded semantically as, quote, moral, things like honesty, trust, integrity, and respect for others' lives and their property. Ergo, I personally regard things like theft and murder to be wrong. That is, they are wrong by my measure. That being the case, I will do all that I can to oppose thieves and murderers, including, obviously, not engaging in or condoning those activities myself. I will also actively promote ideas that discourage others from partaking in those activities, such as encouraging love and respect, etc., etc. And, of course, I will seek to report these activities should I witness them to the authorities, and absent authorities, if need be, ...fight against the attempting thieves and murderers of the world on my own. Still, I understand that some may say the mere possibility that nothing is stopping someone from valuing theft and murder is just too much. However, to one such as these, all I can do is suggest that they look over the entirety of the history of human species... Look at the butchering, the slaughtering, the hating, the cruelty, the brutality, the violence, the animosity, Mm. and the general stomach-churning actions of our fellow human beings through the long, long centuries of recorded time. Now assume that your predilections are right and that objective morals really do fundamentally and metaphysically distinctly exist. Clearly, such entities as these, simply by way of existing, have done nothing for mankind." Even if we really can externally justify our condemnation of child rapists by way of grounding that judgment in some objective moral fact, it doesn't do, to be blunt, a damn thing at all to stop the child rapist or remove the pain and suffering that befall the poor little victims. With regards to all the good that these objective moral values are obviously not doing, it is as if we are trapped here as two thirsty men trapped in a desert arguing over whether or not there really is water on mars sure perhaps it could be comforting to one such as those men trapped as they are in the desert to know that somewhere out there there really is water but it certainly does not help them not as they wither away and die under the heat of the sun such as it is with moral values Even in a world full of objective moral values, and even potentially knowable ones at that, removing epistemic difficulties, we still have people who would twist the facts and interpret those values in light of their own subjective desires, abilities, and dispositions. Some may say, at least with objective moral values, we can say, well, that really was wrong, and mean it, whatever they mean by the emphasis on mean in this instance. However, when I say that was wrong, I do mean it. I simply mean it from the point of view that it was really wrong by way of my standard, which, so long as I exist and hold it, also does so, in fact, exist.
2: So can I just give my preliminary thoughts, and this will be very raw, I just haven't thought this through, but it's, uh, and I'm sure Tyler will have a lot more to add, by the way, but um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but uh as as far as i can see you have no reason to be the way that you are is my was my first thought where mm-hmm. when i heard this and my second thought was so too bad if you didn't turn out a uh a, a nice guy right <laughs>
1: <laughs> well uh as to your first thought There's no – I'm going to say it this way. There might not be a reason with a capital R, but that does not mean there are not reasons. And as to the second one, that actually touches on one of the uh, dictums within my philosophy, which I was going to expound on later, which is eternally justified conflict. Um, And so I'm going to save the second one. At the end of all these, there's just five little blurbs from the Mm -hmm. philosophy I've been writing lately. And eternally justified conflict touches on questions like, well, what if I was a thief, or what if I was a murderer, and there's no objective way to condemn that. How do we act towards those people? Um,
2: uh, well, well, I would suggest, why do you act towards those people? I mean, if if you cannot ground, so so, how about you give me one of the small R reasons? I, I know sure. what you I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but I'd like to hear it from you.
1: Well. Okay, um, say that Say that Tara and I are sitting at home watching a movie, which would never happen because she doesn't like to watch movies, but <laughs> just say that we are. And someone bursts into the house, a uh, Shakespearean murderer with a flair for the dramatic, and he shouts, avast, he also likes pirates, I'm going <laughs> to murder your beloved. Now at that point, I'm in a situation, that goes without saying. And the situation mm-hmm. before me is this. Granted, I'm in a universe with no a priori moral values. And from the point of view of existence itself, so to speak, it makes no difference whether Terra dies tonight or lives to a ripe old age and dies at 95. Mm-hmm. Just don't put that on a greeting card. <laughs> yeah, I understand <laughs> that I've written that into my vows. Um, but uh, I understand that. But here I am, in all my embodiment, in all my presence and existence, with all my love I have for her. And just as there is no external reason for the murderer, by way of the universe at large, to not attack Terra, there is no reason for me to not act on my love for Terra and try to thwart the murderer. It is a clash of two objects with no external Influence on the well, there's external influence insofar as the lives would have led. What I mean is, neither of us are coming into this fight we're about to have over the life of my fiance as representatives of eternal moral orders or eternal fundamentally immoral orders. We're coming into it as two actors who are now pitted to fight against each other by our conflicting values and desires. Uh, to further explicate that would be to touch on my um my theory of eternally justified conflict which i could go ahead it's very short i could go ahead and read that right now if you would like because it might help uh shed some light on on what you just asked and my perspective on the answer to what you just asked
2: i mean i i don't want to get into this uh, it, uh this uh regressive questions and perhaps you you can go ahead and do that after i get this thought out but um but then i I uh I guess my next question would be uh why why love in that sense if if why why would love cause you to act that way sure. I know that you you have this uh um emotional chemical attachment to another person mm-hmm. right and I can understand that and I think that um that uh that can cause people to behave in all sorts of odd ways right we see it um we see how envy causes other human beings to to behave yeah it it can uh, often result in murder or yeah um theft and stuff like that it's this odd emotional attachment where uh, um i'm not sure if you know if there's ever actually been a case where one person murders for another um, but, from you know what evidence is has been at hand, it does appear that this has happened before, and so it would seem that these this chemical attachment this um uh physical yeah chemical attachment that you have to another person can cause you to do all kinds of irrational things right. Mm-hmm. Why is you defending Tara not irrational
1: to me that question from my perspective on the universe borders on being um, what's the term um, not, in, <laughs> n- not invalid not, uh, it's um, not appropriate it's kind of like asking how heavy is blue yeah. or mm-hmm. uh, you know what's a unicorn's favorite drink it's an inappropriate question because it implies almost that the lack of a positive cause is a cause to have to supplement another positive cause in a nihilistic world, kind of like a, a vacuum, uh, to use a metaphor, um, there's no reason to go north in a world without directions. And if mm-hmm. someone decides to go north, saying, well, without a reason to go north, why would you do that, is, is kind of almost an inappropriate question. It's like, well, there's no reason to not go north, and I have decided to go north. But what What more is it that you can ask of me in a world with no directions? Uh, or no reason to head any particular direction,
2: and that so, makes some sense.
1: Yeah, in, in a nihilistic world, um, you know, at the point in time where I love Terra, which I do, to ask, well, why would you act on that love if I've decided to act on that love is kind of inappropriate. It's like uh, if I told you my favorite color was burgundy and you said, well, why? And I said, but it's my favorite color. I already told you. And uh, you said, "Well, why again?" And I said, well, I just, I just told you it's my favorite color." We'd get stuck in that sort of situation. Um, mm. Not to suggest that I love Tara as much as I like my favorite color. But, um, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's not, what that's I was. That's not the point of that metaphor. Don't, but don't no, put that it, in a greeting card either. Yeah, um, <laughs> I like you as much as I like beige. Um, some. <laughs> but uh
2: no but, well i'm you glad know, you explained it like that because that's what i was hoping to avoid was that you know regressive but why and then well i told you but yeah. why but i told you <laughs> yeah
1: for me as a nihilist and an existentialist the whole syndrome of asking but why is for me in some cases justifiable like scientific mechanical explanations we need to know well well why does it fall at x rate but when you come to things like values for reasons that We'll hopefully touch on as as the conversation flowers when it comes to things like values why is a fundamentally inappropriate question there isn't it there's no factor in the process for me of willing to power one's values on the world where a regressive why is needed i mean you could maybe examine my childhood and say oh well from birth to value love and if you brought that to me after I vanquished the would-be murderer and saved Terra's life, and you said, see, you value love because you were trained to do so as a kid in a Western family. Mm-hmm. I would say, oh, well, okay, and then go back to being happy that I'd saved Terra. It's right. a
0: fundamentally unimportant aspect. My question, because I have a bunch of questions as as the objectivist in in the group. Um, mm-hmm. A bunch of them were more anticipatory of what's what I think you're going to get to, um. So I'll hold off on those, but I think for this question, for this section,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what I'd kind of want, to, I want to ask a clarification question first before I actually get to my point. So when you say, when you get to the point where you said, assume morals do exist. Let's let's assume for the sake of argument that there is such a thing as objective moral values. Yeah. They've done nothing for mankind. Yeah. Right. And it, correct me if I correct me if I'm understanding you wrong but i think what you're getting at is let's say that there actually is this moral injunction um do not rape mhm right that that more the, the existence of such a moral fact that rape is wrong has done nothing to actually cause a rapist not to rape it's not
1: that it never has I, I'll acknowledge that there might be people out there who would be rapists if not for their belief that it was objectively wrong. But to me, that's not objective moral value saving the day.
0: That's oh, no, no. Still... Sorry. 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 Let me, let me clarify. Not not saying I'm not saying that in history, you're saying no one's ever done anything for moral reasons. I, I mean that there is no causal relationship oh, between oh, okay. the existence of the objective reality, the moral fact rape is wrong. There's no causal line between those two things. Not that people don't have moral yeah. reasoning.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no I mean the the fact um if it were objectively morally wrong, if it were woven in the very fabric of the universe that we're wrong or that anything were wrong, without a violation of the often held to idea that we're free willed agents, it just doesn't have the same kind of impact on our existence that things like gravity or electromagnetism or other laws or facts about the universe have like the, the fact that my brain needs oxygenated blood is a fact that bends my actions around it. So if I try to violate that fact, I die. If I try to prove that fact wrong. Um, and the fact that a greater body attracts a lesser body, unless you excel at a certain rate means that without the aid of a rocket, I will always fall towards the center of the earth. um, The existence of a moral fact doesn't seem to, for uh, free-willed agents as it comes to how we interact with each other, doesn't seem to have anything near or anything at all like the kind of uh, functional actions that another type of fact in nature has. So it doesn't keep anyone from murdering or raping or stealing. Causally. Yeah, Yeah, it just says, well, you shouldn't have done that and then they shrug or they don't even think about it because they found a way to rationalize why they should have, and they do it again. And from the universe's perspective, it's almost like that fact is they're going, well, you shouldn't have done that either, And but it never actually stops them.
0: Right. So I think I think this is where I would start my push. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into a bunch of different, a bunch of discussions about whether there actually is objectivity or not. Because I, I think in your very first part, you just kind of assume it to be the case that there isn't um so you, we can get to that as you go down you sure yeah go yeah. down cuz i don't actually think you prove that point i think you just kind of assume since there are no moral facts and then and then go on well but, from from my perspective when
1: like i didn't really design the talk to prove that for me since we were just talking about the different moral theories right well uh, it was just kind of a oh, all right well here's mine and then let's skip the background and go into uh,
0: but the i love it. i love the background <laughs> but, but, but kind of, but kind of where we are. So, sure. here, so here's here's my here's my initial pushback. Is that for me? It seems that there that the problem lies not in that there are no moral facts, but there's that there's the moral moral facts aren't the type of facts that you wish they would be. So, um, so I could say, well, there there's no such thing as speed limits because people speed. Because the speed limit has never ontologically caused in a, in a, in a causally straight line, someone not to speed. And you can say, Oh, well, you know, the speed limit being there has caused people to have, you know, legal reasons to caution themselves and to keep themselves from speeding. Yes. But the fact that there's a speed limit has never actually ontologically caused someone not to speed. Therefore, yeah. there's no such thing as speed limits.
1: See, I'm not trying to make that argument. And I'm, I apologize if it came across that way. I, again, The examples that I gave about how moral facts haven't ever stopped anything, it wasn't meant to prove that they don't exist. It was meant to, I guess you could say, soften the target or soften the ground for the discussion about life without moral facts. It's it's just me saying, hey, look, the world doesn't even seem to reflect these things, so if we're going to start talking about them acknowledge that and I think it'll make the conversation easier it's not the argument about why
0: they're not real but that's why I'm saying I, I think you're I think you're slipping it in though so oh, no. <laughs> well th- I mean may, I, so th- so this is what I'm getting at so you can so mm-hmm. when you say like um so because because there's no, this no distinct causal line so maybe maybe we're not going so far as saying therefore they don't exist but mm-hmm. but it seems like you're going so far as well therefore they might not as well they they might as well not exist well, the the title
1: of the piece I just read is just right. objective They're morals are worthless. obviously worthless. Right. It's not that that means they don't exist or shouldn't exist or cannot exist. It's just saying from the point of view of most discussions of morality where it's so charged because here we're talking about the things that make us feel comfortable when we walk down the street or make us feel justified whenever we – uh, serve on a jury or root against a person in a trial or something like that. Is it clear that the Zimmerman trial is still fresh in my mind? <laughs> a <little> um, bit. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, when we talk about these things, the discussion is very charged because it's very personal. And so that whole first mini essay I read is just meant to soften the discussion and say, well, maybe you should reflect on the fact that these things that you value so much, if, say, I was speaking to a whole auditorium full of people who believed in objective moral facts... Maybe you should reflect on the fact that these things don't really seem to be slowing down any any of the butchery or barbarism that you believe tacitly that they act as a dam to hold back or to cease. Right. And
0: I think I think that's what I'm getting at though, is because to to me, and this is why I say I think you're sneaking in the assumption, because and, and part of it is just the fact that we you and I have different worldviews, we have different plausibility structures. So when you say things like, Well, obviously, I'm gonna say, Well, well to me, it's not quite obvious. So, for, so when I when I so so this going back to the speed limit example, I might say, okay, well, since since there's no causal line, speed limits are are worthless. We might as well, you know, we might as well admit that they're that they're that they're worthless. to mean this, but then I can I can sit back and say, well, no, 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 no. The speed limit is there for the sake of our application of it. I mean, the 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 functioning of the speed limit is there so that we can apply it. And we can have that legal justification and reasoning for it. So I might look at something like the, the objective moral value, do not rape, and say, okay, you know, I, I can see that there's no direct causal line between that moral fact in existence mm-hmm. and any moral action. But I could say, well, part of the functionality of that moral fact is that – and this is part of my theism, and so maybe I'm sneaking in assumptions also – but part of that is that that as beings— well, Probably with, both are. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean we, yeah. we can fully admit that we, I mean, we're working within our worldviews. Yeah. Part of it is that as, as, morally, as morally capable beings with moral insight that can perceive these moral facts, part of the functionality and part of their worth, not their worthlessness, is that they are applicable, is that we can take those moral facts and say, look, rape actually is wrong. You should not rape, or if you do we have a we have a moral grounding to to you know go through with with rectification for it, so even though there might not be this causal line, i think it's i think it's a for me at least a bridge too far to say because there isn't this causal line, therefore they're worthless
2: um well, I guess that that would be a good time then for Brandon to move into that next part would that
1: sure yeah, yeah? I can start the next little page long mini essay yeah okay. So the next one is entitled, Even Nihilists Genuinely Feel or Speak as if Something is Objectively Wrong. Okay, so beginning. This may be true, that is to say, Nihilists sometimes speak this way. But first, let us guess at some of the other facts that could be at play here. First, sorry, let us guess some of the other facets that could be at play here. First, how do we know what Nihilists, or anyone else for that matter, is really and truly thinking? Why? By way of their actions, of course. Their actions and, to artificially believe between these two things, also their speech, their words. So we see people who are professed nihilists shedding real tears when they hear of school shootings. And we hear people who are professed nihilists verbally condemning such actions and expressing their desire for such things to never happen again. From this, some have proposed that nihilists really do believe, deep down, that objective moral facts are true even though they don't acknowledge it. Personally, I feel this is simply the projection of one's favorite theory onto others, but I shall elaborate more than merely that. Firstly, let us say, even a well-educated man could say, and we would all understand him if he said this, the sun set a few hours ago, and it was beautiful, despite knowing that the sun is still rather uh, right where it is, or where it was several hours ago, and it was the earth which turned away from the sun, specifically his side of the earth moved away from the sun. The relationship between these entities, however, is summed up by the term sunset. So long as we know what the term is relating to us, information about the appearance of the sun with regards to the observer on this portion of the earth, then we can still use the informal phrase like sunset and the sunset a few hours ago without getting into ontological trouble. We understand that our ways of talking and the meanings they convey sometimes do not actually match up with what is really happening, but they still profess some understandable and rationally interpretable meaning. Now, we don't think the makings of a bad astronomer, one who says the sunset yesterday was particularly beautiful, just because he says that, as opposed to the moment yesterday when the Earth's spin along its axis caused the portion I occupy to face away from our nearest star and, in the process, Refract its light at different angles and create various shades of color just before night, and I found it particularly pleasing to my aesthetic sense. A nihilistic philosopher may well still use shorthand, as our fictitious astronomer here, so to speak, when he expresses personal dissatisfaction or disappointment, his personal judgment of a situation. That's horrible, he may exclaim, instead of... That event is one which runs counter to my social, environmental, psychological, biological dispositions and predilections, and the things towards which they cause me to look favorably upon. This does not make him any less a genuine nihilistic philosopher, just a more efficient speaker, and perhaps just slightly, a bit, less pretentious. Now what of feeling? Some people just feel, so to speak, that something is wrong. This feeling is at play when they denounce certain things as being wrong or harmful or evil or bad. Indeed, I do not deny that such feelings exist. I will take people at their word here. However, some men whom I consider backwards and wretched feel deep down that something is just wrong when they see interracial couples happily married. I count their feelings as genuine, but certainly not reflective as either of either reality as a whole, nor at all deserving of my praise. But now, what of my own feelings? It's been said that when something bad happens to me, I genuinely feel as though it is wrong that it happened. I must say, this is an insightful argument, and it has thoroughly persuaded me that I actually exist. What's more, it's persuaded me that I exist as a being with predilections and perceptions, and that indeed, heretofore, I had been upon a fence-post with regards to this." However, after sobering up and getting beyond the giddiness I imbibed of of upon... Ah, ah, I'm getting tongue-tied. After sobering up and getting beyond the giddiness I imbibed of upon realizing that I, in fact, do have preferences and feelings, I was forced to conclude that this is proof of nothing but just that. The fact that I, as a subjective agent, have certain preferences and feelings. And when these preferences get slighted, my feelings are ones of anger or rage or sadness or regret, etc. To go beyond this... To suggest that my feelings are or must be somehow grounded outside of myself, in some sort of order of the cosmos, is both to make a bizarre notion of personal feeling, and an abrupt demand of reality to conform to or match up to my personal predilections. End.
2: Um, so again, if, if it's okay, can I just sure. give my, uh, uh obviously uneducated, because I'm not an actual philosopher, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my My preliminary thoughts um and oh, also i'll i'd just like to point out off the bat that this is why semiotics is important i've seen i've spoken obviously to Brandon a lot in the past and i've noticed a lot of analogies in his and metaphors in his uh argumentation and that's why this is important right mm-hmm. and uh that leads me into my next point uh, using your um bad astronomer and and the sun setting um i I know that doesn't make him a bad astronomer right mm-hmm. if he says that the sun is setting when in fact the sun has, has stayed in the same place but it does make him wrong right i don't think he's still so. wrong about it he's just speaking uh subjectively he he is technically incorrect the sun didn't set the earth moved. that's just perhaps it's just the the analogy that you used i'm not sure but um
1: see personally i don't think he's actually wrong because yeah, i don't i don't I think the meaning
0: with... oh, go ahead see, i i was going to say um i would actually agree with brandon and and nj i i'll push you a little bit i actually think you also mm-hmm. agree with brandon um
2: well so, explain it to me why are so, going
0: so we've we've had a lot of conversations so let's let's bring this back to our bible conversations i'll give a really yeah. quick example so you know the the pie in the bible Yes. Yes. So we recognize that the biblical authors aren't trying to make an exact scientific statement of that pi is three point one four right on and on. Right. So we recognize that the ambiguity of the language is accurate. It's true. I mean, the the ratio is it's about three, right? We wouldn't say yes. that that person is wrong, right? We would just it, it's a different no, it's a different it's a different gradation of the application of the of the usage of the term. Right, yeah. so I, I'm actually with Brandon i don't think the astronomer would be wrong in using that language. I think that he's using the he, he's right in the exact way that he's used that language
1: yeah the uh okay. the astronomer isn't attempting in this case if we're being charitable with the astronomer right. he's not attempting to communicate astrological uh, pardon, astronomical facts about the nature of the earth and the sun's spatial relationship. He is using a colloquial expression. To capture an event and a meaning behind it so he said oh man the sunset yesterday was really beautiful and if you're trying to get a measure for how the earth and the sun interact spatially it was wrong but his meaning arguably wasn't about that it was about his perceptions and his interpretations of them as being beautiful so it, okay. it wasn't wrong the way he said that or what he meant was
0: not wrong
2: okay what he meant was not wrong i i can agree with that yeah
0: yeah yeah i th- i think i think for me this we're going to be actually in largely agreement on this section because i you and i base have large agreements on how we think language functions mm-hmm. so so this one um uh while i have while i have other aspects when i use the argument of well the nihilists, you know they actually do believe in objective moral values uh ironically i i think i mean something a little bit different than than what you're responding mm-hmm. to but i think just, it, just even in that example, it, it proves the fact that you know the nihilists can say, can use objective moral language, and, and mean something. We 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 shouldn't hold them too tightly on technical usage of the of the terms. Mm-hmm. um I, I do I do agree. What I what I would say, and I and I wrote down this kind of cheeky statement as, as I was listening to you, because because your last your last section was in my mind, was that um, basically. Uh, what you're saying is, we could functionally live as though objective ma- morals don't exist by being nihilists who, functionally speak, and feel as if objective moral values do exist. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it, it, it's it's that you know,
1: within the realm of existential freedom, it's a possibility.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, so I mean, we can you can say, well, we can functionally live as if there as if there are no moral va- objective moral values, right? Um, but it's, it seems that in your, in your response to this type of criticism, you're saying, well, it, it's okay for the, for the nihilist to, to s- state things that are you know functionally are like there are more absolutes, even though they don't technically mean it.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going for just an expression of meaning as opposed to a technical breakdown of fact, then a nihilist who says, that's awful, there's, in response to a school shooting. Um, you know, so, if, you, if you know that person's point of view, you know that what they're saying is, I judge that as being awful, I guess would be the shortest way you could put it, as opposed to that really long uh, breakdown I gave in the, the writing I just read. Um, but you don't expect them to always have to say things like, well, I judge that awful, well, I judge that good. They can say in just colloquial parlance with other people, that's awful, that's good.
0: Right, And I, but I think... And this is where I I have a feeling I'm gonna keep pushing you on throughout this entire thing. Um, is that is that I mean part of your part of your argument is we can we can live functionally as if there aren't. But what we're gonna I, I think what we're gonna see throughout um is that functionally we can't live. I mean, f- one of my major critiques of nihilism, as you know, is, is that it's just it's functionally unlivable. Uh I mean I said this in my in my last ones, you know, and it's a pretty common critique. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can consistently live as a nihilist. Um, even if, even if in the back of your head you're thinking, well, technically, I don't, I don't actually think that. In in application, to be a nihilist, I mean, to speak to people, you have to functionally assume objective moral values. Um, to do civil discourse, I think you have to functionally assume that there's that there's objective moral values. To enforce any type of law, you have to assume um, that there's objective moral values. So, See, so this we, is with why none this, of the. Oh, go ahead. But this this is just why I'm saying why yeah. why. You know, it, it, it was a little cheeky comment to say that Oh yeah. But, but I mean, you know But it, I, I think you do functional. I mean, I, I think functionality wise, the the assumption actually is objective moral values, not that not that we can live without it. See, I there's
1: no way for me to say it except just to say it this way, I, I genuinely don't functionally assume those things when I engage in discourse. Like, you'll just have to take me at my word. <laughs> um, I, I really honestly never assume those things regardless of the actual uh, words that I choose to employ to communicate myself with others, but I do touch on that later on, okay. with what yeah, I well, call yeah, I call existential value communities because I don't deny that it's within human nature to want causes and reasons for action and not just sit there, right it's I only ask that people own where those causes and reasons for actions come from, which to me is not external, it's entirely internal. You can own those and then say, oh, well, I've got this whole coherent point of view on the world that I act on. And it comes from, you know, me sitting around and chewing all these questions about what I want the world to be like. And, oh, my God, it turns out that 100,000 people agree with me. And now we have a city. And this is what we do with our, our time. But I'll I'll get to that later on. Right. That's and we can, we can hold off for there.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I actually that was that was my only really thought on this, because I think I, I think I largely agreed with most of what you said, surprisingly. OK. Works for me. <laughs> Hopefully, the rest of it will go like that. Um, <laughs>
1: no. uh, okay, the next even shorter short essay. Um, was there anything else?
2: No, no. I just, okay. I just uh, wanted to clear some of that up, and I think I'm pretty happy with that too. So, go on, you. Yeah. All right. So that wraps it up for
0: this episode. Again, that's just part one. So keep your eyes peeled uh, for the next episode that should be released shortly. Uh, subscribe to. This podcast or the Skeptics Testament podcast. You can get it at either place. Visit us at either of our Facebook page, uh, either myself at Facebook uh, groups, the Freed Thinker podcast, or you can do Facebook groups, the Skeptics Testament. Uh, again, if you'd like to follow the new blog, it is Freed Thinker podcast. Dot That's freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com If you see anything there, please comment, subscribe, love it, listen to it, follow it, suggest it to your friends. And we'll see you again here on the Freed Thinker Podcast. Good night, everybody.